Hi guys, Nate here from CageCast. Just want to let you know that we started this podcast a long time ago with love in our hearts, but not a lot of technical knowledge. Some of the audio and the editing might be a little rough in these first few episodes. So please enjoy them for what they are. And know that we get better with age. Like a fine cheese. Or wine. That is all. Thanks for your support. Bye. Now we're going to go see the boardwalk, pick up some chicks or what? Okay, just one more time, all right? You ready? Hey, am I? No, not one more. God damn it. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, ten, ten Mississippi, Birdie! Uh, Birdie! Thirteen Mississippi! It's the fifteen Mississippi, Birdie! Sixteen Mississippi! Birdie! Birdie! Uh, I don't know how to swim! I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage And welcome to CageCast, the podcast that joyfully dissects the filmography of one of America's most unique and engaging leading men, Nicolas Cage. I'm Nate Porter, and with me is Britt Porter. Hello, everyone. Here's how CageCast works. We are in the process of watching every Nicolas Cage film in order according to the film's official release date. We're reviewing every film in which Nicolas Cage had either a starring role or an integral supporting role. We'll break down the film's plot and themes, and then afterward, we'll rate it on a scale of 0 to 4 in three different categories. The film is entertainment, the film is art, and then in terms of Cage's actual performance. Last week, our cumulative score for Racing with the Moon was a 15 out of 24, or a 62.5 out of 100, which actually puts it as the number one ranked Nick Cage movie out of the two that we've reviewed so far. This week, we'll be reviewing 1984's Birdie. Will Birdie claim the top spot? I think it's got a good shot, but we'll have to wait and see. And as a reminder, we do not share our scores with each other before the show. Right, that would be cheating. Um, we round out the show with our CageCast Running Totals Rapid Fire Questionnaire. We'll let that kind of speak for itself. And as soon as we get some listener feedback, believe me, you'll all be the first to know. If you've ever wanted your name and email read on a podcast before, let's be honest, this is probably your best shot. We have one more big announcement. We are now on iTunes. Yay. I don't know who Nate bribed to get CageCast approved, but I guess no price is too much for such a worthy cause. That's right. Um, don't look at the checking account for a few weeks. Okay. Okay. So here's what you need to do. We need the dozen of you who listen to the show to go to iTunes and give us the best rating your conscience will allow you to leave. Fours and fives are really all that help us, just so that's you right. know. I would say, <laughs> that's true, I would say that if uh, you'd rank CageCast less than a four, you might not even have a conscience. I so, concur, Nate. No conscience at all. Sleep on that. None at all. We'll be working out the rest of the kinks here at CageCast for a few more weeks until our big upcoming listener push slash coming out party for Raising Arizona. 
and we're hoping to have some guest analysis on that episode as well, perhaps with some familiar names from uh, mm. out there in the podcastosphere. Really? So really, your high praise on Ooh. iTunes will help us get this little podcast off the ground, as it were. All right. Little 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 teaser there. That's right. I'm 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 titillated. Good. Okay. That was the point. That's all we need. With uh, all the pleasantries out of the way, we will jump right into Birdie. But first, here are some stats. Right. No more pleasantries. Uh, Let's get into this. Okay, so the release date was December 21st, 1984. Uh, The budget was $7.5 million or so, and it only ended up making about $1.5 million. So kind of a flop. And after Racing with the Moons kind of mediocre box office, things aren't looking up for our kids' uh, uh, box office draw. Notable co-stars with this one, uh, pretty much we were looking at Matthew Modine. Right. And he went on to star in Vision Quest, that high school wrestling movie. He was also in... It is. Have you seen it? No. Oh, how do you know? Oh, okay. It's fantastic. I should have said, it is? It is. Okay. Okay. That's better. Yeah. He was also in Full Metal Jacket. Excellent movie. Have you seen that? No, <laughs> but it's like a cult classic. Well, fa- it's nice to know. I, my wife can fake it really well. It's Full Metal Jacket. It's, I don't need to see it to know. It's about half of a. It's about the the best first half of a movie I've ever seen. There we go. And then you can just stop. Okay. Okay. Uh, he, Memphis Bell was also on Modine's mm-hmm. rap sheet, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest flops ever, Cutthroat Island. Yes, he was a star in that, but... Yeah, kind of stopped his career in its tracks. Right. It's it's pretty infamous if you do any reading about that the movie. it uh, Let's just say things did not go well after that movie. Director of this one, Alan Parker. And before Birdie, he had directed Fame, which Ooh. I'm a big fan and of. And you have seen that one. I have seen Fame. All right. Also The Wall... And then yes. he went on to direct Mississippi Burning, which, yes. as we all know, excellent if, if, movie. If you listen to the Tobolowski Files, you know all about Mississippi Burning. Yes. And, and, and Alan Parker, actually. It's good. If you don't listen to the Tobolowski Files, what are you doing with well, your time? hopefully you're listening to us. Stop listening to us and listen to that. If you're going to listen to... Never mind. If you're going to listen to one podcast... I suppose that's it. Turn but... this off and go <laughs> start listening to... Anyway, go ahead, Britt. So he did Mississippi Burning... He hasn't done a whole lot else since he directed uh, The Life of David Gale in 2003. And I guess you could say after that movie, I could see why one might quit the business. Did you see that one? I did. Oh, my. Yes. Oh, oh Kevin Spacey. Oh, yes. Oh, made me on. made me yearn for K-Pax after oh, wow. that bad. Ouch. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to touch on is the cage genre. Definitely started off as kind of the bad boy rebel cage. When we first see him, that's where we think he's going. But... I think he ends up in another genre, the I Saw the Light Cage. Do you know what that is? Well, of course. It's where Nicolas Cage starts off not really understanding someone, and by the end of the film has a completely different way of looking at things. Right. We'll see this in um, in a lot of things. Most notably, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but The Family Man is the perfect I Saw the Light film yes. for Cage. This is a small sampling of Correct. what's to come later on Yes, not that wet your appetite, listeners. Yes. All right. And then last thing for our stats... We typically try not to focus too much on soundtracks in our reviews, but this week is a fairly notable exception because the soundtrack for Birdie um, was compiled completely by Peter Gabriel. And it also marked the first time that Peter Gabriel worked with one of our favorite musical producers. Daniel Lenoir. 
of course. Of U2 fame, of course. Yes. And he, if you've ever checked out his solo stuff, it's very good as well. The music is all instrumental, and it ranges from kind of ethereal and moody to driving and kind of manic, um, especially during some of the more emotionally charged scenes and the stimulating scenes, like some of the flying scenes. The soundtrack is loud. It's pulsing. Um, we'll be playing a couple of the standout tracks from the Birdie soundtrack throughout the show, so you'll see what I mean pretty quickly. Yes, absolutely. I would, I would even venture to say... And this will probably be the last thing I say on the soundtrack, that, that it plays a, a pretty distinct role in the film. Right, or at least it really informs the mood and the tone of the scene in a way that a simple orchestral flourish, um, you might kind of feel like that's cheesy. This really kind of does take on a life of its own and helps put you actually into the feelings of that character as opposed to telling you how to feel. It almost enlightens you how this character is feeling. So it's really unique and something that I will remember the soundtrack for a long time. Well, coming up next, we'll break down Birdie. But first, to give you a feel of the soundtrack and what effect it might have on the action, here's the track Birdie's Flight by Peter Gabriel. Welcome back to CageCast. This week we are reviewing the 1984 screen release Birdie, starring Nicolas Cage and Matthew Modine. So Nate, tell us, what is your history with this film? Well, you know, uh, I've seen it once before. I remember having good impression about it, but that's really all I could remember. How about you? No, again, this would be my third film in a row of his where there I have no prior associations, no foreknowledge of the film. Cage virginized. A cage virgin. Wow. Okay. All right. So uh, let's do a quick plot synopsis and get into our analysis. A young man known only as Birdie is being held in a military hospital, unable to communicate with anyone. He spends his time staring out the window and displaying very avian behavior. We are then introduced to another young man named Al, who has recently been wounded by an explosion while fighting in Vietnam. Half of his face is bandaged throughout the entire length of the film, except for flashback scenes. The hospital staff bring in Al to assist in Bertie's therapy. In a flashback scene, we see Al and Bertie meet for the first time when Al attempts to beat Bertie up to retrieve his little brother's stolen pocket knife. As it turns out, Bertie had not stolen the knife, and Al apologizes. Al and Bertie build a quick bond over a scheme to train and sell carrier pigeons to elementary school children, but after a dangerous fall while attempting to collect the birds from a construction site, their operation is shut down by Bertie's parents. Now back in the hospital, Al has a series of conversations with Bertie to no avail. He quickly understands that Bertie believes he's actually a bird, but knows that if doctors discover this, they'll run tests on him his entire life, so he doesn't say anything. At night... Bertie often strips down naked in his room, obviously scared and desiring freedom from his prison. Al gets more and more agitated with Bertie as time goes by, unable to help him recover his sanity. In another flashback, we see the boys decide to take on another project, fixing up an old Ford. Through trial and error, they get the car running and drive to the beach. 
Al is interested in the ladies, but Bertie only wants to ride the roller coaster and swim in the ocean, both activities he compares to flying. The boys are put in jail for stealing the car since it was officially registered in Al's father's name. Al's father sells the car, outraging Bertie, who confronts him in a fiery argument. Standing up to his father is something Al has never done. Throughout additional flashback scenes, we see, uh, no particular order, Bertie buying a bird, Bertie attempting to fly with homemade wings, Al and Bertie becoming amateur dog catchers, and then amateur dog rescuers, Bertie's bird almost being eaten, Bertie and Al going to the prom, Bertie not knowing exactly what to do with a topless woman in his car, and ultimately, Bertie becoming a bird in his dreams, and then being rejected by Al for his eccentric behavior, immediately followed by Bertie's bird crashing through a pane of glass and dying. Back in the hospital, with time running out, Bertie, being held in Al's arms, finally does snap out of his state, but not until Al also learns that the bonds of friendship are more important than how the world defines us or how we define ourselves. In a last-ditch escape attempt, Al helps Bertie to the roof, where Bertie jumps off the edge, presumably to his doom. But you'll have to watch the movie to see if Bertie ever does learn to fly. If you haven't seen Bertie and you don't want to be spoiled on the last five seconds, stop listening now, watch it, and come back to this in a few weeks. Yes, absolutely. For hours. When we aired this screening of Birdie, we were joined by a special impromptu guest, as it were, and that is that um, Nate's mom happened yes. to view the film. Yes, my mother was in attendance, yes. which made things very interesting for me. I'm sure it did. Because while I'm a grown man, uh, you know, it's a rated R movie, and there's scenes, you know. Scenes that a, a mother and son don't always want to share together. Well, we weren't holding hands, but no, you know, yes, it was... We were sitting on the same couch. Okay. Okay. Well, I say that because we have some of her nuggets, I believe. Her nuggets of thought, I should say. And hopefully she'll call in or send us an email that we can share with you all, listeners, by the time this hits the air. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll give her a call and see if she can contribute something. Okay. Okay. Hello, Nate. This is your mother. (laughs) She doesn't sound anything like that. I found, I thought the movie was good, but I didn't care for the language. She never does. Oh, mom. All right. She also said she subscribed to the podcast, but if there's too much language, we might have to, she might have to send in a scathing retort. The FCC. Yeah. All right. What was I? Where are we? What are we doing? We're reviewing Bertie. Where are we? Okay. (laughs) You're not a bird. I am blown. You are a man. Might as well. Might as well be. Let's get into it. So the the first shot of the movie, the movie opens with one of what will become its regular motifs, and that is bars on a window. Yes. We we start the film with Bertie, not with Al. Right. With Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine plays Bertie. We start with him in his... I'd call it a room, but it's really more like a cell Mm -hmm. in this military mental hospital. And the director is very quick to focus in on the caged window. The windows in almost all of the scenes that that we see, um, at least from sort of a, a present day viewpoint, all of the windows have bars or screens. And so you do have a feeling of being caged in from the very start. Right, and that, the entire movie. This cage imagery, this sparred motif, and then you do sort of start to see a little bit of a, oh, sort of a, cage, a caged versus a free sort of tension. Right, and we really don't know who this character is at this time or really have any um, reference point. We just know this man is troubled and he's locked up. So then we go and we meet our hero. Well, the very first scene that we see of Nicolas Cage, who plays Al, so... 
that's who we're referring to here, is that he's bandaged and laying on a gurney. Nate said, there's our hero, and I couldn't tell. But in those first opening scenes, his face is entirely bandaged, and so... It, it, also, the director is setting us up. This this guy's obviously gone through some trauma. Um, you find out a little bit later that he's also was in Vietnam serving and was wounded. But he's you know maybe he's a, he's a burn victim. We're not sure, but we're setting the stage as well for this character being under bandages and then spending you know at least half the film under those bandages. And right. th- those, that's also going to play a role that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Right, right. And what struck me about this, Brit, is Nicolas Cage, at this point in his career, most people know him from Valley Girl and for, from some bit parts in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and things like that. But I'm sure his agents are trying to push him as this teen heartthrob. And to pick a film where your face, your moneymaker, is covered for pretty much the entirety of the film except for some flashback scenes is a very brave choice for such a young actor. This He's still 19 or 20 when he when this movie was shot. And so just a choice like that really helps me respect this young Nicolas Cage a lot. That's the first thing that struck me. As Nate said, it's a gutsy choice for an actor, but from a storytelling perspective, it's, it's a well-done piece of craft. And it does allow for Nick Cage to really take that role on, I think, and flesh it out and make it more than just a war film and and very much so a, a character development piece. So now that we've been introduced to our main characters, uh, they send us in a flashback. And basically, we see Al and his little brother playing baseball. Our introduction to Birdie is he's sitting up in a tree, setting him up as kind of a social, not outcast, but definitely outsider. And then we see him, uh, and I would expect no less from Nicolas Cage, but then we see him under the bleachers trying to make out, and maybe even more with the girl of the hour, it, it seems like. And his little brother runs up and says, hey, I found that bird kid who stole my knife. There's a little bit more to this knife story than his brother was portraying at the time, and but still is sort of, hey, this guy's weird, this kid's off, I don't... You know, there's not an initial electrical connection between the two boys there it's not an it's not an easy friendship that they form at the beginning i think it takes some time and and really yeah al's really initial interest i think in birdie is just hey maybe i can sucker this guy out of some money I that's thought, kind of my impression okay i thought that he was just training the carrier pigeons because he loved to do it i didn't know that birdie was going to sell the birds uh, he may not have but but al's walking away after this knife encounter and his brother says you know a lot of kids would want a, a carrier right, pigeon. Exactly. You and can and sell you can them to a the, lot of kids. You can see the, the wheels turning <laughs> in uh, Al's mind. And he goes back and, and starts chatting this guy up about the birds. And we quickly see that they form a bond that's um, kind of solidified by these various encounters of trying to capture pigeons. And, and train them. Capture, capture and train. But what I like about the capturing scenes is that, uh, you know, our initial take on these characters is Birdie is this introverted, kind of shy kid, and Al is this wrestling star, and he's popular, and he's confident. Al is the one that's saying, well, I don't know if we should be up here, and, and really um, not being confident at all, where Birdie is fearless. Um, so that's really the first place where we see maybe our preconceived notions of these kids may not be exactly accurate. So there's one real memorable scene here early on when they're catching and training these pigeons, and that is uh, Birdie decides to create for him and Al 
pigeon suits. And this is where I've got to say, we were watching this movie, and you even spoke up just kind of saying, what is up with this birdie kid? Because something's not quite right with him. Because you can tell when he's in this pigeon suit, and it's, you know, it is an entire a bodysuit. Yeah, with a hat. Yes, with a, a, hooded, a hooded facial portion made of feathers and it's really kind of creepy almost you know i got that donnie darko creepy bunny suit kind of like weird vibe from it you know this is our first kind of glimpse that not only is birdie he doesn't just like birds right he likes birds right not in the we know what you're saying. Right. He we likes he likes birds. Well, they end up taking them to a construction site, I believe, where there's quite a few pigeons roosting up high, and Birdie's whole theory is, if we wear these suits, we'll be one with the birds, and they'll, uh, they won't know that we're here, or they won't feel fear around us simply because they'll, I don't know, we look like birds. I, I don't smell know. like we birds, We smell like maybe. birds. But he gets Al into this bird suit, and so they're they're up here on the roof of this humongous building with pipes and a slippery roof coils and a slippery roof, trying to catch these birds. And essentially, Birdie, who's taking most of the risks in catching them, uh, starts to fall off the roof, and it's easily a twenty or thirty foot. Oh, it's far! It's far enough that he. He, he could, could die. He could die. And so, so he's fallen off the roof, and Al's got him by the arm, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And, and Birdie decides that he's going to fly, quote-unquote, yes. to an enormous pile of sand down below them. Far below. You can feel the fear of Nicolas Cage, like he's going to drop this kid, and this kid's going to die, and it's going to be his fault. So when he falls, obviously he doesn't die. That would make for a very short movie. But Al comes down, and cradles him almost, mm-hmm. um, is very loving and affectionate towards him. And we see, I wrote in my notes, these guys love each other. And it never, some people can read into that various, you know, is this homoerotic, what is it? I don't see that myself. I just see it as a very close and real kind of authentic love between two friends. I don't know, Britt, did you get that too? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's furthering furthering this notion that this bad boy rebel facade that Al has up is truly just a mask, that he wants to wear someone he aspires to be but isn't at the end of the day because he is so deeply concerned for his friend and so deeply worried that something really tragic has happened to his friend and why did you do that and don't do anything so stupid again. And and it's very much sort of the sense of don't leave me, you know, mm-hmm, don't leave sure. me here. So yeah, absolutely. It is. It's a very touching, tender moment very early on in the film, but it helps us establish that really Al is a lover, not a fighter, I would say. So the cops come and before we know what happens, we are taken back to the mental hospital in the present. Right. So essentially what we have seen happen is Al has been asked to come to the institution to try to to work with Bertie. He's been told that you're one of his childhood friends. Maybe you know something about him that talking with him can get him out of this state that he's in. And and that's really all that we know at this point. And so Al does go in with the doctor to Bertie's cell and see that he is very much acting like a bird and, and trying to be a bird. And it's not until later in the film that we hear Al say, I get it, you think you're a bird. But it, it's clear that he is a bird because now we have enough of his background to sort of put two and two together. And of course, Al knows that that's what he's doing. Right. And we find out a lot more of that as the movie goes on. Right. 
you just have some phenomenal acting on both the parts of Nicolas Cage and Matthew Modine. I mean, we were sitting here watching this film, and the first thing that I think Nate said was, look at Al, what an incredible acting job that Nick Cage is doing here, because he's essentially monologuing for most of those most of those For most of the scenes, scenes with the two, two men, especially in all of the mental hospital, is it a mental hospital? I think it's safe okay. to call it that. Most of those scenes, I mean, Matthew Modine has two or three lines for the entire movie in the mental hospital and everything else is Nicolas Cage talking to and acting against a person who himself is acting like a bird. Right. So it sounds crazy, but it really is effective. Well, and so, and so initially, so on the one hand you have Al and Nick Cage playing Al having to sort of embody this wounded soldier who hasn't seen his friend in a long time and just play this role and sort of carry a lot of the scene because he is the only one with speaking lines. But on the other side of that, here is Matthew Modine who has to play a man who thinks he's a bird. And just the just that alone sort of is makes my head spin. That that this is truly some this he's by no means a dead weight. He's by no means sort of leaning on Cage in these scenes to carry. No, there's the day. a lot of interaction. You're there's right. a lot of interaction, and just to have sort of the the acting chops to take on that kind of a role and be willing to play a man who thinks he's a bird and to be a bird and to get inside not just not just his character's head but the head of of what it would be like to think you're a bird and to and to go there. It, it's phenomenal, and so these scenes in the hospital with the two of them are really incredible. They're really something to look at. So there's quite a few of these, and and we see them peppered in sort of as we're moving, I guess, the main plot points of the story along, which is Al is here to help Birdie for a set period of time. And if he can't do what he's been brought in to do within this time frame, there's sort of some implied things aren't going to go well. And we don't know the time frame. I don't think it's the doctor ever says you have two weeks or you have three days, but... We know it's not long, and we know that sort of the end of it is is a do-or-die type situation right. for Birdie. There is a ticking clock. This is where we're introduced to Birdie's nurse, and we see her a few scenes in the movie. I don't want to dwell on her too much, but she is a part of the movie, kind of a semi-love interest. It's sort of portrayed for Al, has a small role, and basically serves the, the role of like a maternal presence in Birdie's life. And maybe in one scene near the end, kind of a representation of the change and progress that Al is actually making as well. And we'll bring that up later. But um, there is a nurse. I just wanted to mention that. So we we actually end up flashing back to the hospital shortly after Birdie's attempted flight. Kind of a funny scene where Al is waiting for Birdie in the hospital. And Al is dressed entirely in this pigeon costume. (laughs) Trying to explain to this old woman he's sitting next to uh, what the hell he's doing. It's pretty pretty funny to me. Kind of a funny visual. Absolutely it is. We see his parents. the, The director does a nice job of sort of casting these two characters as sort of polar opposites in a lot of ways his birdie's mother very practical and and we're talking about you know people who are in sort of working class philadelphia in the what probably 60s i want to say you know so she's very practical and very nose to the grindstone and doesn't understand her son at all and nor does she really make an effort to and then the other side of the coin is birdie's father who i think wants to understand his son but certainly also is just a little confused by his son, um, but certainly a much more feeling character. And, and it, as the movie develops, Bertie and his father have actually a very close relationship. But they're still 
sort of that mystery X factor missing from his dad's understanding of his son enough to really, I think, have Bertie feel bonded to his dad. Right. So you have these parents, and I think they do care, but, but we're not all on the same page, to be sure. Bertie's parents tear apart this little aviary they had built for these pigeons. They burn everything. The boys need a new project. They've kind of bonded over this bird training project, and now that that's gone, they need something to fill that void, is, is what I took from this. And so I think this is where they decide to buy the car? Yes. Okay. Yep. So Al knows of a junkie 54 Ford, and he and Bertie sort of figure out a way to, to get the cash to buy it and fix it up. And you see scenes of them sort of acquiring this car and having to push it home and work on it, and it's junky. And and Al gets a little bit of guff from his dad over buying a kind of piece of shit car, but but it's also just here are these two teenage boys and they're fixing up a car. Right, exactly. And this is where we see um, the dynamic between Al and his dad. But it is notable to point out Nicholas Cage has not had a good screen parent yet in our podcast. Also, you can see, while he's teasing and kind of getting these verbal jabs in at his son, he's might be a little proud that they're doing something that boys do. Right. Maybe. I kind of picked up on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that this dad is, is a complete good-for-nothing father, especially in this first scene. And it's one of the few scenes that you actually see Al's father in. He's, I think, ribbing him, but it's it's more good-natured than, than anything. They're fixing up this car, and there's some fun sort of casual scenes of, of them just being boys together, teenage boys together, you know, trying to get the car to start and, and daydreaming while it's up on blocks of what it'd be like to drive places. And it's from this that Al finds out that Bertie has never been to the beach. So as soon as the car is, in fact, running, that's where they go. They go to Atlantic City. Al wants to go to the beach to basically meet women and get Bertie laid and get himself laid in the process is, is what I took from it. Um, and Bertie has definitely other adventures in mind. But it, again, interesting that it, here in Atlantic City, this whole scene, this series of scenes that unfold are really Al sort of with this bravado up and Bertie in the role of, of naive wet behind the ears friend. And this is what you sort of expect. This is what, I, I wonder if the director puts these two characters in these roles intentionally in this scene. Well, and they might be what we expect in certain situations, but I would say this this definitely adds to the idea that they are layered characters. They're not just one thing. They're not a one-trick pony. There's some depth to these boys. Kind of the culmination of this beach scene is kind of this awkward... Maybe that's because your mom was sitting maybe, on the couch but Nicholas, Maybe, but Al is actually having sex with a girl under the boardwalk, maybe 10 feet from where Bertie and this girl's friend are sitting just trying to make small talk about, I don't know, Bertie's talking about holding his breath. And, um, you know, but Al and this girl are having sex right there, and it's this very dissociated, they're not, you know, they're not making love for sure. They are having sex, and that's what we're doing. And uh, it's just this very weird dichotomy where Bertie couldn't care less at all. Um, might as well not have been happening. And it was just a very stark contrast of these boys and their priorities. Yeah, I would agree. And and essentially, too, sort of builds in for us. Here's where Al's character is at this period in his life. And he is. He's he's thinking a lot about chicks. There's a following a follow-up scene after that where it's Bertie and Al on the beach. And pretty much the whole conversation is Al talking to Bertie about getting girls and how great that is. and How great their boobs are. How great their boobs are. And, and, and you know, why aren't you into this? And, and that is all that's in his mind. So very typical teenage boy. 
But again, just very interesting that this is the dichotomy between the two. So we move from these very interesting scenes in Atlantic City to what ends up happening. They're put in another cage. They are put in another cage. They are sent to jail. They are sent to jail because Al's father has registered their car under his name. I think the rationale for that was the boys were too young. And you sure see Al change, don't you, when his dad shows up? Wow, you do. It's slightly comedic. I think I sort of was laughing a little bit because you have Al, his friend Bertie, his very uh, upset father, and his very tense mother, who's Mm -hmm. clearly just trying to keep the peace but failing miserably, going out to the car to go home. And they all jump in, and Al is wrecked. He is crying. He is reduced to, from this sort of this big puffed up bravado of a man getting laid under the boardwalk, a few hours later reduced to this weeping little boy of a character. Right, and his dad boxed him in the ear as well, so that doesn't help anything. No, but he is just openly destroyed. And I don't again, just just some interesting character development, interesting experiences with with parent son and 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 father child relationships going on. And again, I, I want to point out, Bertie is a little a bit oblivious at this point. Right, exactly. He's just in the car. He's not really reacting to just the obvious family drama that's playing out around him. He's just sort of there. So in, interesting again that he seems to to be really be lacking the ability to process relationships. I'd say with everyone that he encounters, but maybe Al and his dad. You, you really only see that anytime Bertie is able to successfully navigate the dynamics of an interpersonal relationship are with those two characters. Mm-hmm. So the next thing that happens in this flashback sequence is Bertie buying his pet bird, and I think calling this bird a pet, and I think he named it, what, Perda? Mm-hmm. Okay. Calling Perda a pet is an understatement. Perda is more, um, and turns into more of an extension of Bertie, and really his gateway into this idea of finding comfort and solace in the idea of just being a bird. Literally being a bird instead of a human. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of his gateway to that. And he picks her because she's beautiful, and she's full of life and she can fly um so it's this really interesting scene and there's a lot of different subtextual layers going on um if you're if you're actively looking for them so very interesting and i would say too that this whole scene in the shop or in the home with with birdie picking out perda is not long it's maybe five minutes at most so it's it's not a long drawn-out scene like the atlantic city scenes are that really sort of layer in all these different elements to birdie and al it's very brief and you could easily write it off but i think like Nate said, you see a lot of contextual subtlety here and essentially are really starting to understand that for Birdie, it is more than a hobby. It is more than an obsession, even I would go to say. It is what he sees as his salvation. From what, I don't really know. But clearly that's the direction that your mind wants to start going. I think salvation from being an outsider, from being confused as to who you actually are. I don't think Birdie knows who he is, but in these birds, in these creatures, he sees the potential for peace and the potential for acceptance and the potential for a new way of looking at the world. And, you know, you might think we're reading into it a little bit, but watch this movie. We're not. That's exactly what these birds are for him, and no one else understands. And so it's really interesting as things begin to unfold. Right. We find out that Al's dad has sold the car. 
oh man, this does not go well. It does not. Uh, Bertie is livid. And Al's upset too, but he's essentially kowtowed to his dad and is clearly not ever going to confront his old man over this car. But Bertie does. Bertie's kind of in this flash. I think it's the only time you really see Bertie with so much energy over something that's not bird related. And, and I think it, you're hitting on it there, Britt. It, it's more of his sense of right and wrong. It was less about the car and less about the money. So I think it was more of just a very clear black and white sense of what is right in the situation, what is wrong, and he's contending for that, is what I took. Well, and I do think that it is an opportunity to see more of Al's character, because Al is... Sheepish. He is. He's present in the home at the time of this argument, but he is non-existent. He doesn't side with Bertie. He doesn't stand up to his dad. So we spend some time here in flashback land, and then we do kind of move back to the present, and things are starting, the tension is starting to build in the hospital a little bit for Al for a, in a number of, of ways. Al is still in crisis, very much so in crisis in these scenes. He doesn't know who he is. I think he wants to stand up for his friend, but he doesn't understand what's going on, and he doesn't have sort of the balls, if you will, to stand up to this doctor appropriately. He's afraid of being found out that he doesn't have it all together, that he is having nightmares in his sleep, that he is just um, kind of... He's also very broken. mm -hmm, And he's just as broken as Birdie is, just in a different... He didn't crack the same way. But he's very afraid, very scared of being found out. Um, Maybe because then he's going to be locked up as well, also caged, won't have an opportunity to sort of leave or leave with his friend, but that that they're going to find out that he's also a nut job, I think, is, is one of his fears. And so it's hard to see if the doctors are picking up on that. Um, and playing out on those fears, or if that's really all just coming from inside of Al's head. Uh, but either way, you have these very interesting, tense moments with Al and the doctors, kind of talk, discussing Bertie's fate, but also simultaneously discussing Al's. It's very interesting. You know, for the rest of the movie, we're cutting back and forth between these flashback scenes and the mental hospital. The next major flashback scene we see is Bertie. Um, doing a, a, rep- a report in his science class or whatever on birds, obviously. Good subject for him to pick. And how their feathers work and how they can actually fly. And he catches the attention of a similarly minded kind of nerdy girl. Yeah, in this yeah, scene. sort of. I, w- I would... I would maybe call her that. And again, it's another opportunity for us to see Bertie does not do well in groups. He does not do well with his peers. His interpersonal skills are subpar. Anything else, he really doesn't know how to relate to people or especially girls. Right, right. So some- And doesn't care to. Right after this, we see a scene with Bertie and his dad, who we find out works at the school, shoveling coal. I think he's a janitor but also takes care of the, okay. of the yeah. boiler. That's right, because later on he has a mop right. uh, in a different scene. But we get a great, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, and it's just a conversation between Bertie and his dad. Bertie wants to buy another bird so he can start mating these birds, and his dad obviously has some concerns, but really does love his kid. And so they have a great conversation about loving something that no one else loves. Yeah, I would say it might even be worth playing a clip here, Nate, because it's such an excellent dialogue between the two of them. Okay, let's do that. I want another canary, a male for mating. I thought maybe you could talk to mom about it. I don't know, we don't want to antagonize her. I had a heck of a time getting her to let me build that aviary. She's worried about what it must be cost you for the feed, the lumber, and whatnot. Tell her not to worry. I mean, bird seat's cheap, and Al and I swipe the lumber. <laughs> I sure won't tell her that. Already she's convinced your friend is Al Capone. Yeah, I know. I don't think your mom doesn't want what's best. She 
just concerned that you develop interest in friends that'll help you, you know, fit in. Yeah. Fit into what? Whatever, you know, life. She thinks I won't fit into life with Alan and Canary? <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just, well, uh, take me. I've always had an interest in wicker. When I met your mom, I could make a better wicker chair than any man in Philadelphia. I still could if anybody wanted one. But nobody cares about wicker anymore. So I don't fit into the scheme of things. You see what I'm saying? Your mother just wants you to wind up better than me. Every parent wants that. We've got some very nice scenes later on, I will say, of Al and Bertie quote-unquote uh, working, working out. Pumping iron. Pumping iron. Because Bertie has this idea that he can build a... Bertie has this idea that he can build a flying contraption, wings for himself, Wings basically. for himself, so he's got to build the muscle mass to, I think, sustain those And things. it's also an excuse for Nicolas Cage to take off his shirt. Right, which, at this point in his career, I think many of us viewers would welcome. Okay. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> So they so they go out to the, the, the dump, I think. Yeah, the city dump, and Bertie's built his wings, and, and Al's riding the bike to give him some some momentum and he does in fact I think fly for a little bit but it's just this continuation of both their friendship and of Bertie's desire to be a bird Mm -hmm. I think is what we get out of this and the rest of the film and what we're starting to see here are these involved scenes flashing from the present day to to their friendship early on and back and forth and back and forth you see a lot of mounting tension in sort of the primary storyline um, and so we're just seeing a lot of these different themes being played out, and we don't have to break down every single scene here, because there's a lot of back and forth between the hospital and then the flashbacks and just danger. So you can kind of feel that the momentum is building both in the hospital to find resolution for Bertie's mental illness and in the flashbacks for something. We don't know what, but something big is happening. Right. And this quickening action, especially in these hospital scenes, kind of culminate with Al really sticking it to Birdie and just letting all of his frustrations that you could tell have been building for years out on his friend. And not only is this a great acting job done by Cage, but it is an intense scene of Cage Rage, which we have to play for you here, because he just explodes. And this scene alone is worth watching this movie just to see the tour de force of acting work that Nick Cage puts forth here. It is it is incredible to see him passionate and fiery. I'm going to get you to talk to me, even if I have to punch you out. I'm not kidding around, Bertie. I can't hold Weiss off anymore. I almost told him about the flying yesterday. God damn it, why can't you listen to me? If you want to fly, who lets you fly? He's going to send you air freight to some giant cage in a full-time nuthouse. So you'll probably send me too. We're going to have feeding purchase, cover the whole fucking deal. Maybe your mom will even dig up your old pigeon suit. And wife can sell you to a side to an Atlantic City. You can double bill and send me the fish. All right, Bertie. It's time to start flapping your wings and peeping. I don't believe it, you know. If you really want to spend the rest of your life as a bird, then at least be consistent. Look at you. You don't hop like a bird. You don't really sit like one. And you sure as hell can't fly like one. You don't like what I'm saying, Bertie. Why'd you just tell me to shut up? You always were hard to hurt, Bertie. Real losers never hurt. Oh, here you go. Here comes Hannah to feed you. You like that, don't you? And you know, one of the things that this movie does really well is it 
gets us frustrated with Birdie too. It got me frustrated with Birdie. And you can empathize with Birdie and kind of the confusion and alienation he feels in life, but you can also empathize with his friend who just wants Birdie back. And there's a great scene. It's very short. And again, it could be thrown away as sort of a nothing scene, but I think it tells us a lot. And that's shortly after Al sort of explodes on his friend and the nurse the maternal nurse figure is there to, to see it. Um, he leaves and he goes into sort of this uh, equipment closet to sort of blow off steam and, and come down. And she goes in to sort of comfort Al and they begin sort of making out. And, and it's very much sort of at his at his prompting that this is happening. And, and you're kind of thinking, okay, this we've seen this before with Al. This is where he typically goes with women. But he actually stops himself quite early on. And apologizes, and apologizes to her to for her. his behavior. Right. So he's really starting, I think, you're, you're really starting to see a change even in how he looks at women and, and as, as that behavior is an extension of the rest of who he is. And I really think it's a question of defining who we are as people. Um, not to get too deep here, but he's really defined himself as this macho, ladies' man, kind of finding his value and worth in women and in putting on this bravado. And we see in this scene and directly after, he's just staring at himself in the mirror and it's just such a striking image of this young kid looking at himself in the mirror with half of his face covered, not knowing who he was staring back at in the reflection. He didn't know if when those bandages came off, it would if it would be him or somebody else. And you can tell he's scared and he's frustrated with himself. And at this moment, I realize this guy is as broken as Bertie is. Bertie's symptoms are different, but... And the crisis is just as real and just as scary for Al as it is for Birdie. This is where this movie turned for me to this kind of interesting exercise with music and sight and sound to something that really, for me, went to a deeper place. Um, so we have some interesting interesting scenes in, in flashback. We see Birdie, again, sort of getting more into the mind of birds. He mates his two birds. They have bird babies. There's some scenes there where he's sort of watching the process a little bit as though he is one of them, I would say, hatching. Mm-hmm. But then in di- direct contrast to that, we see Birdie at the prom. So we have a nice picture of where Birdie wants to be versus where Birdie has to be, I would say. He's sort of trying to take his father's advice and I think trying to please Al a little bit by going to the prom, by sort of acting, quote-unquote, normally by being here. But it's very, very clear in these prom scenes he doesn't want to be there. In fact, I would say uh, you could not peg that better, but to say that he is very... He's making no eye contact. He's not really dancing. No, he's very anxious to leave. In fact, he actually goes and finds his dad, who's working the night shift as the janitor, just to talk to him. Mm So it's pretty funny. He's super uncomfortable in his human skin and much more comfortable in his bird skin. I thought it was, I I thought it was really funny when he was dancing near Nick Cage and all, I'm sorry, dancing next to Al. And all Al is um, trying to comment him on is trying to get him to look and see how big his, his, his date's chest is. Yeah, that's all <laughs> wow, Al's into. Huge. Oh, they're huge. And Bertie's like, yep, yep, that's fine. Anyway, this is pretty pretty funny, but... Um, so, again, we have sort of a follow-up scene to prom. Bertie's in a car with his date, who, interestingly enough, is the same sort of shy, awkward, possibly antisocial girl we saw earlier in the movie. She's in the car with him and basically just undresses and says... 
thanks for taking me to the prom. Now you can do whatever you want with me. And she just sort of (laughs) says it, no pretense. And also very awkward. Must be awkward for her, I would think. That's pretty normal behavior from what I've experienced. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. But um, so he obviously doesn't know what to do with that and basically expresses. Basically treats, I mean, honestly treats her body like. Like a science experiment, yeah, I almost think he, like, what, I is, think what is this flaps, exactly? I think he flaps at her boobs. Not like, like a bird. their wings. No, he takes his hand and he he dangles, dongles her More boobies. Just, <laughs> all right, we're, we're going to cut. They're, they're cutting flapping. this out. Anyway. Needless to say, he's, uh, he's not interested and not even that intrigued. No, and she, I think, now feels ashamed. And so this prom ex- experiment is sort of a bust for him. What's really interesting is that he comes home and proceeds to strip down naked and crawl inside this enormous aviary that he's built under his bed. This was very weird, and this is an, another excellent scene where I think music plays a real role in establishing the mood of the scene. Now we're sort of seeing the full, the fullness of Bertie's bird obsession come to fruition. Right. I think we've seen that he's fully convinced that he's not meant to be in this human world. He is meant to be a bird. And so he gets, he strips down and he gets in this aviary and brings his bird in with him. And I would say there's almost a love scene between them. It's hard to explain what's happening. Yeah, I think that that might be taken a little bit too far, but I will say that like you, Nate... Not a sexual thing, but... uh, Well, but I definitely picked up on some... Sexual tension, maybe, would well, be uh, the right would, way to do right. it. He's 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 communing with his bird in a way that is beyond, far, far beyond normal pet ownership. Right, but I didn't far see beyond, it as sexual. I saw it as as a as a oneness. Yeah, a oneness might be a good way to describe it. And what comes out of that is this this interesting dream that he has where he becomes a bird and it's excellent camera work and excellent. I mean, this is again where you really see the use of music as almost its own character in establishing the storyline. But you see from Birdie's perspective as a bird flying over his city. And we see everything that's been important to this movie and all the flashbacks to show from this perspective of a bird and this freedom of flying um, that birdie has been looking for this entire time. And it's really an interesting scene and very, very well shot if you uh, have a chance to check it out. We see Al coming back to Birdie's house after prom. Um, he finds Birdie naked, kind of like cooped up in this aviary under his bed. And so he assumes that things went really well with this prom date. Now tell me about Doris with plenty of details. Oh, no, don't give me this gentleman of honor crap. I want to hear about last night. I'm not sure I can explain it to you, huh? Oh, I knew it. I knew she'd do it. Tell me what happened. Not with her. With me. Last night I flew. I really know what it feels like to fly. Oh, you flew? How you flew? I'm not sure. It's not something you can really take apart. When I fly, it's like in a dream. Only it's not a dream. The thing is, you can't really put it into words. You just kind of have to feel it. It really, I think, is sort of for Bertie this 
this opportunity to actually let clue Al into his mind. So the two have been friends uh, this entire time, and we've seen progression of, of Bertie's sort of mental deterioration, you could call it. But I don't think Bertie has entirely let Al in until this, this moment. He can finally confess to him, look, this is who I am. Right. And this is the last time that we see these two guys interact before Al gets shipped off to war. So this is really the 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 breaking of their relationship. And I the the way I took it was this is the last time they had talked before the hospital. And unfortunately, a very tragic scene because at that same time when we sort of see that final connection being severed as, as Al leaves to go to war, Bertie's bird gets out. Gets out flies about the neighborhood, tries to come back to Al, and smashes through the glass window and dies. And this is just... And this is Bertie's undoing as well, right, I think. Tragic. Just broke him. And then we cut to Bertie, who's obviously been drafted in Vietnam. Um, in a different sort of bird. In a different sort of bird, riding in a helicopter, which very quickly gets shot down. And then we see a plane flying above Bertie and dropping napalm on the, on the jungle. Basically. Right. So we have this quick succession of scenes where we have this final breaking of Alan Birdie and then quick succession of Al being shipped off, Birdie's bird dying, Birdie being sent away, and Birdie's helicopter bird coming down. And so it's this very, very fast sort of action. I'd say all, all four of those scenes happen in less than 10 minutes. Very, very Less quick. Than a minute, two, few minutes, right, right? Exactly. And what's real interesting, I, and, and potentially, again, Bertie's final mental break, he cries out in pain and suffering when he sees the birds of the jungle around him getting harmed by this napalm. Right. So it's not the human carnage around him that causes him anguish and pain. It is the the knowledge that he there are birds that are dying as a result of this this war effort. Right. So it's very, it is very interesting, and it very much informs the last two minutes of the film, which is where we're at. So we talked earlier in the, in the show about not really wanting to spoil it. So again, if you haven't seen Birdie, stop now. Stop the podcast now. <laughs> go and watch the movie and come back to us, because now we're going to give it away. Right, because I, I would say this is one of the best endings. It was one of my favorite endings of a, of a film in, in recent memory for me. Um, we get this scene, and I'm going to play it here because it is just incredible. And if you can just picture Al holding Bertie on the floor in his cell, he knows it's over. He knows that he couldn't break through, and he knows that um, these two are going to be separated probably forever. Well, and he has also come to terms with the fact that he himself is broken. Right. There is no longer anything for him to hide behind. Right. So he gives this speech that we're going to play now, and um, it is just devastating. Don't worry, Bertie. They can't make me leave you. I can't go out there. I couldn't make it. They got the best of us, Bertie. We're both totally screwed up. I mean, we haven't had anything to do with making our own lives. Fuck! I was always so damn sure about being myself and how nobody was going to make me do anything I didn't want. And now here I am. They finish you off with a discharge or put you on a casualty list. It doesn't matter how special you are or were. 
feel like one of those dogs nobody wanted, remember? You know, when that chill went off in my face, I could smell burning flesh. And it was crazy. Because the smell was so sweet, so familiar. And then I realized that it was my own skin that was frying. <laughs> and I couldn't even touch the pain. I don't even know what I look like anymore, Bernie. I don't know if it's me under these bandages or what some army meat cutter thinks is me. Jesus Christ, I don't want a patched up instant pity excuse for a face. I just want it to be Al under here, not some sewn together freak mask. But shit! What's so great about their fucking world anyway? We'll just stay here and keep the hell out of it. I don't have to go get these bandages off. You see, I figured out what you're doing, Bertie. You're right. We should just hide out and not talk with anybody. And every so often, go crazy and run up the wall and spit and throw shit at them like the loony across the hall. Yeah, yeah that's what we can do. That's what we can do. Al, sometimes you're so full of shit. So if you'll allow me, let me just tell you what this did for me. Um, this is this is where the movie really emotionally resonates for me. We see we see both of these men. We've we learn they're both broken, and we see redemption for both of them in two very different ways. Um, Al finds himself once he realizes that everything he had kind of built his life on was meaningless, and that out of propriety or what people might think about him. He gave up on the best friend he had and probably would ever have. And Birdie finds himself when he knows that he can be accepted for exactly who he is with no strings attached. And once he has that acceptance from someone, then he doesn't need this coping mechanism of being the bird. Um... So I just think this movie, sorry, but this movie is just a great example of kind of the our brokenness as people and needing something, searching and finding meaning and purpose, not in the world or what other people think, but really in um, the relationships that we have with each other. And it's just poignant and it's touching and it's beautiful and... I loved this scene, and I loved this movie. Beautifully put. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Showing my emo- my, uh, I'm showing my sensitive side here on Cage Cast. I guess K-Cast. so. Beautifully put. I'm not sure if we're going to get that for uh, Face Off. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, to wrap it up, so Al is struggling to get Birdie out of the mental institution, hot on their heels, or orderlies trying to chase them down. So there's this very last sort of scene where Al and Bertie are being chased down by orderlies and it's it's 
again, sort of the last-ditch effort of tension mounting. And what happens is that Al and Bertie make it to the roof of the building, and Bertie runs to the edge and jumps. He is dead. Yeah, right. and that's where I went. I thought right. he's just jumped off the roof, and maybe this is his only way of he earning found, freedom. Right. I think I think we're supposed caged. to think, okay, maybe the only way to find freedom and acceptance is to jump off the roof and kill himself. Right. That's how he can be accepted is for who he is as a bird. Basically, the filmmaker says that's bullshit, is the way I read it. He jumps, and Nick Cage runs to the edge of the building, and really he's jumped about six feet down into a, a lower level of the roof. And Al is screaming, birdie, birdie, no, no. And he gets to the edge, and Birdie's just standing there saying, what? And then it cuts to black, and the movie's over. Yeah. It was not at all what I was expecting. And I, to I, be I, sure. I don't do it justice, but it is just a fantastic no. ending I d- to this movie. And I don't think we should show a clip here because, really, no, if won't. you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. it. It's it's just great. And if you haven't seen it, why are you listening to this part of the of the podcast yet? You just ruined a great ending um, <laughs> because of your laziness. So great movie. And with that ending, I just. If we hadn't gotten that last scene and the acceptance and Bertie talking, I think the scene would have worked. It would have been this, well, obviously, the only freedom we have is in death. And I think Alan Parker and the writers of this are saying, no, that's not true. We can find freedom in life and through our relationships and um, and kind of turn those conventions on their head. And if he had killed himself then, then everything they had just said would kind of be meaningless. But in this case, since he didn't kill himself, I think it just reinforces everything that we were just shown, that life is worth living, and he was just trying to have fun. And there's no reason to be concerned anymore because um, we have found what we're looking for. And when we really find what we're looking for, there is a change, there is a, a difference made, and there is kind of a peace and a joy that that we have. Yeah. So, Anyway, so that was Birdie. That was. What'd you think? Oh, I guess we'll talk about it right after the break. Yes. But first, uh, we're going to play another song off the Birdie soundtrack. This is The Heat by Peter Gabriel. This is Nate's mom, and I got to watch uh, Birdie with Nate and Britt last week. My thoughts on the movie, it's not necessarily a movie that I would choose just for the entertainment value. However, the more I think about it, it's one of those movies that you think about a lot um, afterwards. I found it just really rather compelling. So, entertainment, it was, I mean, it was fine. It wasn't what I would choose. But uh, to make you think, really good. 
And, of course, Nicolas Cage is gorgeous, so what do you think? Thanks. Bye. All right. If you're just tuning in, we've finished our review of 1984's Birdie with Nicolas Cage and Matthew Modine. Once again, why would you just be tuning in now? I don't know. I don't know. Go back and listen to the show, for Pete's sake. <laughs> All right, let's let's get let's. This has gone on. This insanity has gone long enough, Britt. Let, let's give our rankings. All right, our ratings. Okay, so for this film as entertainment, what do you say? I am gonna go one point five. One point five for Britt. If Brit. we're looking at just an entertainment factor, I was not entertained. Intense, thought provoking, not entertaining. Okay, I'm gonna give it a two. I, I would say entertainment right in the middle of the road. I would say we have enough in those flashbacks that is fun to keep my interest and keep me entertained. But by no means is this a comedy or a farce of a movie. This is a drama with bits of comedy thrown in. So I'm going to give it a two on the entertainment scale. All right. Okay, what about this film on its artistic merits? I'm going to have to go three. Three, wow. It, extremely high, extremely high. Excellent piece of film, excellent storytelling. Um, all elements well represented, aces, aces on the artistic side. Okay, well, I'm going three as well, because th- this is by far the most artistically directed um, movie we've seen. It it may not have been as visually perfect as Racing with the Moon, where we got all of the period pieces and all of the art direction and all of the costumes, but here it was a little bit more rough, but it was a lot more... Um, interesting. There were some surreal aspects to it. There was a lot of symbolism. There was a lot of light shining through windows. There were cages everywhere in this movie. You could tell that Alan Parker is a great director who knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly what he wants, and he got it. And so, for this film as art, I, I say three all the way. Now, here's, here's where I'm really interested in what you're going to say, Brett. How about Nicolas Cage's performance in this movie? You know, I am going to give him a three. You're naming him a three. And I, briefly explain. Incredible performance. Incredible performance for sure. I really think we would not have been able to see the multi-layered elements to Al had it not been for Cage's performance. This is a very deep character with a lot of sides, a lot of factors to consider when you're portraying him, and Cage does a phenomenal job just considering all of those elements and somehow weaving them into this single person that I think really gives us a good representation of someone real, not a stereotype, Um, which I think in certain elements... If it, it put it taken in the wrong hands could very easily could have been reduced down to a stereotype but really Al was this multi-layered very deep character a lot of complexity and I think we have to attribute Cage to to that primarily because of how he portrayed him in his performance I agree and you know what I give this um, myself I give it 3.5 Ooh. this is an incredible performance by this actor um, a 4 <laughs> four in my mind is theoretical uh the acting is so good that we're going to go blind from pure awesomeness, as as we learned in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Sorry, it's we've been watching it a lot. Um, so I give this a 3.5. I think this is just an incredible job by Nicolas Cage. He carries this movie. Matthew Modine, I would also give a 3.5 if that's what we were rating here. He does a great job as giving this bird-like performance, but Nicolas Cage has the harder job of trying to act alongside that and have empathy and real emotion. 
playing against this person who's playing a bird. It's so hard. It, you can tell it's taking everything he is, but you believe it for every second. And I cannot believe how good Nicolas Cage is in this movie. So a 3.5, if I see a 4 in this entire um, podcast, I will be shocked if I see something better than this. It's just great, and that's all I can say. All right. Do a quick tally there, sir, okay, if you will, with our quick, points. Let me... Really add it up. All right, I have added up the totals, and we are at a 16 out of 24. Ooh, you know what that means, folks. Of the three Nicolas Cage films we've reviewed so far, this is our number one. Absolutely. And and also, you're going to see, we really like this film, and it's going to be very, very difficult for a film to score highly in every single category. So I'm actually very impressed at the scores that this film got. It's personally my favorite movie that we've seen so far. Last but definitely not least, we have our running totals, our rapid-fire questionnaire. Yes, so uh, I think it's my turn to ask you, Britt. Okay. Uh, real quick here. Uh, Nicholas Cage, in this movie, is he a lady killer? Yes. He really is. Um, does he get drunk and or high? No. Wait, really? Yes. I am shocked, but you are correct. It is amazing. I would have said yes just because. I know. Okay. It's well, not true. Uh, bucking the trend here, does he have crazy hair? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Well, you know what? It's debatable, but we are going to go yes, he has crazy hair. Does he have a crazy voice, accent, or inflection? No. You know, there's a there's a moment where he does, but... Uh, it's not enough to really qualify. But does he have cage rage? Yes. Oh, Excellent. Does he ever? Yes, okay. it's great. Uh, does he punch or get punched? I would say boxed in the ear by dad counts as a he punch. He gets punched. And does he run with a flashlight in this movie, Brit? No. We will get there. I, I We will not rest until we watch a Nicolas Cage movie where he runs and runs with a flashlight. Absolutely. Okay, great. All right, folks. Well, if you have any thoughts about Birdie, if you've seen it, if you find our review to be a sad misrepresentation of your own opinions, please send us feedback. You or can... start your own podcast, whiners. <laughs> that too. Okay. You can email had us. To, had to say that. Go ahead. You can email us at feedback at cagecast.com. Right. Also, you... if you could send us an MP3 of your review, we will really try to play that on next week's show. Or you can send us a voicemail by dialing 86CAGECAST, just like you would dial anything and we will get your voicemail on the air as well we are dying for those voicemails that's right next week we will be reviewing 1986's The Boy in Blue starring Cynthia Dale Christopher Plummer and of course Nicolas Cage if you have seen The Boy in Blue uh, let us know what you remember about it uh, and specifically what do you remember about Cage in the movie send I will, us a feedback yes I will point out that this movie is not on Netflix and so we actually had to go on Amazon and buy a VHS copy of the film to watch it legally it might be out there in other circles if you want to look but we cannot condone that here at Cage Cast. That's right. We have changed. We have we have seen the error in those ways. That's right. That's right. So uh, as always I will say obviously the music for this week can be found on the Birdie motion picture soundtrack and our theme song was written by Chris Cornell and Soundgarden and performed by Johnny Cash. Remember to go to iTunes and leave us a four or five star review. It really will help. It, if those one and two and three star reviews will not help, we no. will not learn anything uh, from your uh, constructive criticism. Yeah. So just keep those to yourself. You know what? Leave a bad review, but rate it a five. You can write whatever you want. <laughs> Tell your friends. 
We'll be back next week. Until then, we leave you with our last song entitled Close Up. Bye, everybody. Thank you.